our teaching this morning. Um, let's make sure, open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 10. As we get an opportunity to introduce uh, the teaching that I feel the Lord has led me to for us as a church here this week, we want to make sure that you have Bibles in your hands. We want to follow through. As I was praying, knowing that Rory was going to be out of town this week, and praying as to where I'm going to go with this teaching, how it's going to work, given a little bit of slack from the other guys as to whether we stay in the Psalms or whether we are led to go through and teach maybe another set of truth from the Gospels someplace. After church in the park last Sunday, uh, had an opportunity to talk to Kathy Vaughn and kind of go through with what exciting news was happening over in East Africa. To get an opportunity to hear um, as to how the gospel of our Lord is rolling through the hills and valleys and plains of East Africa. Watching how the Lord is moving mightily for those that have set aside themselves for the cause of the gospel and taken it um, with reckless abandonment to some of these unreached people groups in East Africa. And as we sat down and I was touched with what's going on and just touched with um, the power of God moving through a hostile people, through those that have come to know Jesus and have set aside their lives to serve him. Now, as we got to Wednesday, I'm still praying, and, and Kathy was here Wednesday night um, to share with us in greater detail what was going on over there in East Africa. And, and she continually talked about a young man named Pastor Mike who had recently been saved, recently went through a discipleship school, immediately setting aside his own life and safety, desired to take the gospel out to every place he could possibly preach the gospel to. He gave himself to Christ, who gave everything for him. And the gospel continued to roll through some of, and I don't remember the names of the tribes, you guys, but some of these tribes who had never heard of the name of Jesus whatsoever, like we talked about with Nepal, and it went from tribe to tribe, and he continued to pray and continued to just put himself on a bus and go to the outer reaches of his country. And as Kathy was talking to this Pastor Mike, she'd go, well, where are you going? I'm going over here. How long is it going to take you? It's going to take me a day and a half on a bus. What are you going to eat while you're going? He said, I don't know. Where are you going to stay when you get there? He says, I don't know. The Lord will take care of that. All I know is I'm called, I'm called to go. I'm called to go. In all of that, you guys, um, the gospel has moved by and through a number of individuals who have set aside the importance and the value of their own life to take the gospel to people who don't know what Jesus did at the cross for us. And the gospel is now in Somalia which is why we chose the prayer cast for this morning. 
Somalia, you guys, is the number two most persecuting country of Christians in the world. Somalia, as you heard the prayer cast, is a very, very vicious, rough place, and especially for those that are preaching the gospel. There is now a, because of this Pastor Mike, and through a number of others, and I just want to use his name and um, because it'll make sense, I suppose, as we talk our way through this, that because of his um, abandoning to the cause of the gospel, there is now a school of discipleship in Somalia in the most unreached, hostile place in the world, one of the most unreached. It's amazing. There is a school of discipleship, There is opportunity now for us as a church to give to that cause. There's opportunity for us to go to Somalia as we've gone to Nepal, as some of us here have gone to Senegal, as a number of us have gone to Uganda. You know, we're taught to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. And you know what? The Lord is moving and moving in this little church in a powerful way. We need to recognize that. We need to surrender and submit ourselves to that. So as I'm looking at what we're teaching this morning, um, I see a thread of truth that was true in this Pastor Mike and should be true in us. The problem is, is we live in one of the most affluent societies in all of world history. We have it very, very good here. That is a problem. That's what we fight against. It's very difficult for us to do what Christ calls us to do without the supernatural help of prayer and the Holy Spirit of God's work in our lives. So as let's take a look at this thread of truth through all four of the Gospels. And I'm going to start reading in Matthew chapter 10, and I'm just going to read through this, and then we'll pray and begin our teaching. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Chapter 16 of Matthew, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Twice in Matthew, if you look in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, And we should have it on the board if you guys don't need to flip around. Uh, It says, Then he, Jesus, said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. 
For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it, is, is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he himself is destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. Luke 14, verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else why the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. John chapter 12, verse 23, Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, in your wondrous mercy and by your great grace, Lord, your words are black and white. Your words show truth. And your call upon us as a church that desires to be disciples and make disciples uh, draws the line in the sand as to who um, a disciple of you, Jesus, really is. So God, I pray that you would use this morning. I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts, that we might examine ourselves in the faith, that we might reach out and pray, Lord, for more yieldness to you, more surrender to you. Lord, that you might use us for your glory around the world for your, for your gospel and the cause thereof. Lord, we love you and we lift up your name and highly exalt you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, in these, in these what, five sets of verses, most of them are spoken from Jesus to his disciples. Uh, Mark chapter 8, at the end of chapter 8, he called the people to himself with the disciples. And in Luke chapter 14, he turned and he spoke to the great multitudes with his disciples present. You see, when Jesus was forsaken by crowds, he was not depressed. When his ministry became popular, he was not elated. He remained calm and wise in the midst of the excitement of the thronging multitudes. Jesus spoke in Luke with a view of winnowing the great heap of nominal discipleship which lay before him, that the chaff might be blown away, that it would leave the precious kernels of corn Jesus was far too wise to pride himself upon the number that followed him. 
he cared more about quality than he did quantity. He rejoiced over one sinner that repented, but 10,000 sinners who merely professed to have repented would have given him no joy whatsoever. His heart longed after the real. He loathed the counterfeit. He panted after substance and not shadows. The axe was laid to the root of the trees to chop down the fruitless. Jesus was anxious to leave a church that was alive, filled with true disciples like good seed in good soil. Even though it may look like our Lord was repelling men rather than attracting them to him, he was doing nothing of the kind. You see, Jesus understood that men to be truly one must be won by truth. The truest love is always honest. Jesus was making sure that his church was not built upon those who said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go, and then turn around and fall back into their wicked ways. He was making sure that the church was not built upon those who shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, and then later cried out, crucify him, crucify him. The Lord Jesus took the most care at a time when the most care was needed that none should follow him under any misunderstanding, but all would be made fully aware of what it really truly means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So let us be perfectly, perfectly clear then, you know, as we, as we get an opportunity to take, to take a look at what Jesus says is the definition of what he calls a disciple. That the truth of Christ's words and the definition thereof is costly. But I want to make sure that we don't create any confusion or any misunderstandings here. The grace of God and the gift of salvation costs us nothing. Salvation can't be purchased with money or with merit or with vows or with penances. The gospel motto is without money and without price, right? We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Yet, for all of that... If a man desires to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a true disciple, it will be costly. True faith is the gift of God, and there's nothing we can do to purchase it. But at the same time, if we receive it, there are certain consequences that will flow from it. The Lord Jesus desires his true disciples to know the truth, and to count the costs before following him. And you know, we as a church here, right, we've taken a position to stand uncompromisingly upon the authoritative word of God and the word of God alone. We've chosen to be about our Father's business, our vision statement written back in the wall that says we exist to make disciples in our city and of all nations who are sent out to proclaim and embody the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Our purpose in our teaching and preaching from the pulpit here on Sundays, from our gathering on Wednesdays, or from our core groups during the week, is to press into what it takes to be a disciple and what it takes to make disciples. 
Jesus preaches strongly in this group of verses against what we may call nominal Christianity. And I believe this is important for this church this morning, especially in this country that we live in, because a quick definition of nominal Christianity is this. It's those who desire to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't interfere with my rights, with my relationships, with my possessions, or with my identity. And the Lord boldly proclaims to his disciples and to the multitudes that these people cannot be his disciples and are not worthy of him. So let's take some time and go through three main indicators, three main attributes, aspects of what's required by Jesus to be a disciple. And there's many of them, but let's just narrow it down to three. Number one, one must deny himself. Number two, one must be ready to lose life. And number three, one must be willing to forsake all that he has. This is the definition in the Bible on which we stand, right? And will not veer from that Jesus says, these are my disciples. So let's take a look at it one at a time. One must deny himself, number one. This is the defining line that separates mere churchgoers and power-filled people of God who are able to run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is the difference. This is the drawing line. This is the line in the sand, you guys. Whosoever desires to come after me, let him, let him deny himself. This is a non-optional decision for those who desire to be disciples and or make disciples. So what's the scriptural definition of the word deny? Well, it happens to be the exact same word used to describe what Peter did the night Jesus was captured in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26, verse 34. As you can see up on the overhead, it says, Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So let's flip over just real quick and look at Mark chapter 14, verse 71. Mark chapter 14, verse 71 says, Then he began, speaking of Peter, Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Listen, Peter claimed to have no concern for this man and no attachment as to what would happen to this man. Peter had denied him. My question for us today is, are we willing to do the same thing for ourselves? Are we willing to deny ourselves in the same way that Peter denied his Lord? Because this is the very first step to being what Jesus calls a true disciple. Let's look at Jesus, for example. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Perfect. I'm going to read off the overhead. It's easier. It says, "Let Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. Verse 7 says, But made himself... 
of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Jesus denied himself. It says right there in verse 7, it says, He made himself of no reputation. He personally chose it. And he asks us to personally choose to deny ourselves as well. Think about this. Jesus made himself nothing. The king of kings, right? The Lord of glory, who sat on his throne as creator of all everything, where the angels continually sang before his throne and the the creatures around the throne continued to sing of his glory. And he left. And listen to this. This is the very God, right? Who said, let there be light. Who also said, let me be nothing. The same God whom Peter calls in Acts chapter 3 verse 15. The prince of life. This same God chose to die. So why are we to be concerned about our own rights? Why why are we to be attached to our own rights when our great God and Savior did such a thing? Jesus denied himself, and he chose the lowest place of all of his creation, and by doing so proved an unchanging principle of heaven. In Luke 14, verse 11, It says, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus knew about the cross. He chose it for himself because of his love for you. When he came up from the water of baptism, he looked to the cross. When he healed the ten lepers, and no one thanked him, He looked to the cross. He looked to the cross. That cross that's reserved for criminals. The cross, that terrible place of shame. He denied himself and had no concern or attachment to his own life. And because of that, he now sits exalted at the highest place of heaven at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus not only told us that we must deny ourselves, but he showed us what it would look like. The Lord knows that the door of earthly shame enters into the room of spiritual honor. Yet the door of earthly honor enters into the spiritual room or the room of spiritual shame. Lack of perspective in this one issue of humbling ourselves as Christ humbled, denying ourselves, is probably the one issue that has held more believers back and kept them from growing in their faith than any other issue that I can think of. The ability to deny oneself is the first characteristic required by Jesus to be his disciples. These are those that God uses to lead people to the Lord, that that some would be saved. These are the people whose workplaces will be changed. These are the people whose families will be transformed. These are the people 
who are walking in the power of God. Why? Because they let go of themselves. They denied themselves. I want to read a little story. There's a guy by the name of Richard Wormbrand. He's a pastor in Romania during the communist regime who was persecuted and imprisoned for 14 years due to his faith. One day, as his Christian cellmate was singing praises to God, he was caught by the guards and received the strict punishment of standing in the snow overnight, just outside the window of the cell he and Richard had been sharing. There was now a barred window separating the two Christians, one in the snow and the other in the cell. Richard was looking on with compassion at his friend, who was shivering in the exposed cold. His roommate's clothes were tattered and worn, and the only protection from the harsh, blowing wind was a thin, long-sleeved shirt. Richard could see that the freezing cold was brutal to his skin, and it wasn't long before he made a personal decision that could cost him his own life. Although it was extremely cold inside the cell where Richard was standing, he had greater concern for his brother than himself. He had recently been given a sweater to wear during his cold winter in prison. So when the guards were not looking, he took off the warm sweater and shoved it through the bars to his friend outside. The guards would surely punish him for what he had done, but he was willing to take that chance. Not only did Richard risk punishment, but he also sacrificed his own warmth for another. Later, this brother in Christ shared how the warmth of Richard's personal sacrifice helped him to survive more than the sweater itself. Richard Wormbrand chose to deny himself, and the sacrificial act of love sustained his friend's body and soul from death through that long night. This is the same Richard Wormbrand, who God later raised up to found the organization Voice of the Martyrs, which is still aiding hundreds of thousands of suffering believers across the world today. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says, Then Jesus said to his, to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Okay, so let's look at the number two thing. The number two thing in this thread of truth through the gospel is one must be ready to lose life. A disciple must be unencumbered by the fear of death. So let's consider our very own readiness to lose our life for Christ and his gospel. This one verse gives me hope, and hopefully it will give you guys hope as well. In Hebrews chapter 2, Yes. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You see, Jesus broke the chain that holds us down in fear of death if we will just trust him. Jesus speaks very clearly in every one of the six passages in all four gospels that one must be willing and ready to lay down their life for the cause of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, and for his sake. Or he cannot be a disciple. In Matthew's passage, in chapter 16, Jesus begins to describe what he knows lies ahead of him 
at Jerusalem. So let's go to Matthew 16. Verse 21 says, From that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said, Peter, get behind me. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Here was perhaps Jesus' closest friend. Only Peter and a few others were allowed into the the heart of Jesus' personal life. His very private life. This was not an easy thing for Jesus to say to Peter. But it was so very, very important. You see, Jesus reacted as strong as any friend could react when these words were spoken to Peter. Jesus had to suffer and he had to die. It was God's will for the salvation of many. But Peter was thinking like a worldly man. Jesus goes on to say, that all who follow him have to be ready to die as well. John chapter 12, verse 25 and 26 says, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Paul, who came along a little bit later, summarized this biblical truth when he wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He said, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. As American believers, we find ourselves in a very unusual portion of the church. We need to realize that. Because throughout the history of Christianity... The Lord's people have been killed for the cause of the gospel and for Jesus Christ. Currently, there are many, many men and women who are facing the very real danger of losing their life today for the cause of the gospel. Kathy had an opportunity to share that on Wednesday night. The disciples of Jesus understood what it meant to count their lives as nothing for Christ and his gospel. When Jesus' disciples departed to evangelize, they were not only prepared to preach, but they were ready to die for the gospel. They purposed to tell others about the gospel of Jesus Christ, even to those who they knew had the ability to kill them. You know, we hear so many courageous stories in this world about You know, people running out in front of a car to save a dog that's getting ready to be run over or, you know, um, in in the battlefield, throwing their body on top of a friend so they could take a couple of bullets or whatever, right? 
to save a friend's life. If the people of this world are willing to die for temporary things, how much more should the followers of the eternal God be willing to die when they know they have eternal life? As we were reading in John chapter 12, verse 24, Let's get that up there. It says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. In essence, John is saying, you know what? If you die, if you die for my cause and the cause of the gospel, you will produce much fruit. The moment that I purpose that preserving my life is less important to me than reaching others with the gospel of salvation. That is the beginning of great freedom. That is the beginning of great fruit bearing. There's so many examples in the Bible of those who are ready to lose their life to follow the Lord. Jonathan in 1 Samuel 14, 6. I'll give a little quick background. Jonathan, who was Saul's son, King Saul's son, um, went with the nation of Israel with 600 soldiers to take on the Philistines who had in excess of 30,000. The problem was at that time, the nation of Israel didn't have any swords or spears. They had two, of which Jonathan, the son of Saul, had one. And if you look at how this reads... In verse 6 of 1 Samuel 14, it says, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these, the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So Jonathan proposed to lay aside his life for the Lord's people with him and one other guy, and take on the army of the Philistines with 30,000. And I love what he says right there. It may be that the Lord will work for us. You remember reading about Esther, Queen Esther, right? Esther was a young Jewish girl who, through God's providence, was made the queen of the king of all Persia and Media. Probably the most powerful kingdom there was at that time. The, um, the number one man in charge of his kingdom at that point in time, his name was Haman. Haman didn't get along well with Mordecai, who was Queen Esther's uncle. Found out he was a Jew set aside a plan to make sure that the Jews were exterminated throughout the land. In, in all of this, Mordecai found out what was going on, got word to Esther, and listened to what Esther's words were. See, she had not gone into the room um, of the king and she had to approach the king. But it says, first of all, keep it there on verse 16. But verse 11 says, um, as she explains this to her uncle, she says, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, 
The king has but one law, to put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself, Esther says, have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. If you go down to the verse that's on your overhead there, she says to Mordecai, she says, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go into the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. That's called counting the cost. That's called setting aside your life for the Lord's people. You know, look at how Paul and Barnabas are described by the Jerusalem church in Acts chapter 15, verse 25 and 26. It says, this is the letter from the church in Jerusalem. It says, it seems good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Saul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Paul's commendation of Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 2, verse 29 and 30. It says, receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. How about Thomas in John chapter 11? You remember doubting Thomas, right? I mean, that's how we know, that's how we grew up in Sunday school, learning about who Thomas was. But I remember last year in our core groups, as we were working our way through the Gospel of John, getting an opportunity to see what it is and what it looks like to be a disciple. I'll read this passage from verse 8. It says, The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Saul, or Paul, had taken part, though the one who had taken part in killing and martyring Stephen, the first martyr, one of the deacons of the first church. Listen to what the Lord told Ananias to pass on to Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16. It says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So within the first couple of days that Paul was saved on the road to Damascus, he was taught about suffering. 
As Paul was on his way to Jerusalem, after his, um, I think it was his third missionary journey, and he was being told that he'll be beaten and imprisoned, listen to what he says. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. He says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Look at Acts chapter 21, verse 13. He says, Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul writes to them, he says, So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. Paul says, in, in essence, we gave you our lives, now you give yours. Come, follow us. You know, Luke chapter 9 again, verse 23 and 24. says, Then he said to him, or said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. As Jesus preaches these words, he says, Follow me all the way. Do you guys remember in Revelations, during the time of the Great Tribulation, the words of the Lord say to those who had overcome Satan, in verse 11 of chapter 12 of Revelations, it says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. I want to give you another little story here. The author of this book says, One time I was teaching a man inductive Bible study in India, and I was so excited to be helping him grow in his ministry. I was, however, completely unaware that on the way to the seminar, he was beaten severely and his wife was killed. Then there was, on the, there was another man whom I asked why he wore no shoes, and he responded, I'm going to the Hindus, and devout Hindus don't wear shoes. One brother, Alexander, was repeatedly beaten at the bus stop when returning from evangelism. His persecutors would meet him and beat him wherever he would travel. The pastor bought him a bicycle. The next thing we heard that he had been chased down by a three-wheel auto rickshaw and beaten on his way to a village. So the pastor bought him a motorcycle so he could get away. The author says, I don't know what's next, perhaps a race car, but at least now he can drive fast enough to get away from his persecutors. Says another brother is blind. Brother Isaac is blind because they have beaten his head so many times while he was sharing the gospel. Now being blind, someone has to lead him to the village center where he sings and he preaches. At one village, a group of men said, hey, we'd like to hear more about this Jesus in our village. Could you come to our village? So they took him into the middle of a thorn patch and tied him to a fire ant hill. The author says, I was bitten by a fire ant once, and it's very painful. They tied him to this hill where he sat for an hour being eaten alive by fire ants. 
before God intervened miraculously. The Lord literally spoke to him, untied his ropes, and led him home by the Spirit. So guess what he did? He went back out and preached. Ant bites and all. You know, may the Lord wash us in his word this morning and probe our hearts that we're ready to lose life. May our response be as Esther's, where she said, if I perish, I perish. So one last point, guys. Number three, one must forsake all that he has. Luke 14. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus preaches these harsh truths to the multitudes. And we need to all understand that he's not saying that we should treat our families poorly. That is not the context of what we're discussing here. What he is saying is that we must have one master, one Lord, and one perfect love. And that must be held above all else, and that all else must be forsaken. So the rest of Luke in this, uh, this set of scripture Verse 28 through 33 says, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So I took a look at this. What does it mean in the original language? What does it mean to forsake, to forsake all that you have? And in the Greek, it literally means to say goodbye and to send it away. So as we go to Mark chapter 10... I want us to take a look at the story of the rich young ruler. This young man had a desire, had a heart to follow Jesus, but he had three difficulties to overcome. One, he was rich, right? And we know from what the Bible says um, that wealth can be a hindrance to following Jesus. He was young. And I was young once. So... Being young, you deem yourself as invincible. And he was a ruler at this young age. Do you know how hard it would be to humble yourself as a wealthy, young ruler? Each one of these spiritual struggles would be deemed a success in the world we live in, right? Especially in this country. A rich, young ruler? Really? Really? So let's read the story. Verse 17. It says, Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. 
And he answered and said to them, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Now, as I was studying this, you guys, as we get to that one point where Jesus says, One thing you lack. And this is a man who desires with everything he's got to follow Jesus, right? And he hears one thing. That's all you got left. One thing you lack. He had to be elated. He had to be excited. And Jesus continues, one thing you lack. Go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his, at this, at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but, what, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. You see, this man wanted to follow Jesus, wanted bad to follow Jesus. He wanted to follow Jesus with his whole heart. Well, almost. He was willing to forsake most things, but not everything. There were still a few things in his life to which he was still attached. You see, it's not wrong to be rich, but it is wrong not to be able to forsake your wealth. It's not wrong to have a family, but it is not, but it is, it's not wrong to have a family, but it is wrong not to forsake your family. If something ties you down and prevents you from following Jesus, you haven't forsaken it. We must send away the attachment to it and its control over us, or it will keep us from finishing the race that has been set before us. Peter said in verse 28, he said, Then Peter began to say to him, We have left all and followed you. You know, as I looked at that, do you really think Peter had the right to say that? Do you think he had the right to say, I have left all? Let's go to Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, it says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, from now on you will catch men. 
So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. See, this is probably what Peter had in mind when he said this in the last passage. See, we have left all and followed you. Because in his mind, I'm sure he was thinking about the two boats full of fish that they could barely make to land. And when they got to the shore, Jesus said, now leave it all and follow me. So James, John, and Peter left it all. See, put yourself in their shoes at that time. They left the entirety of their wealth and they left their occupation. The fact is that every one of us here, if we set our lives aside to follow Jesus Christ with everything we've got, just like he gave everything he has on the cross for us, we will be asked to make a similar decision in our lives. And it probably won't be once. It'll probably be many, many times. We'll we'll be brought to a place, a, a fork in the road of compromise. And according to the Lord, his disciples will forsake it all. Judas, as an example of someone who chose not to be a disciple. John chapter 6, verse 64. It says, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. John 12, verse 6, he was a thief and had money, had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. You see, wealth and greed still had power over him. Even the Lord personally, even though the Lord personally chose and called him and trained him, Judas was never able to finish, just like the parable of counting the costs in Luke 14. Look at the end of Judas's life. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26, verse 14. It says, then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. Let's go to Matthew 27. Let's take a look at the end of Judas's life. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the, the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. See, Judas did not forsake all that he had, and therefore he never finished. Peter forsook all. And even though he had to overcome his own personal struggles, and we know what those personal struggles were, right? He was patted on the back by Jesus just as much as he was um, rebuked by Jesus. Even through all of that, Peter finished well. Look at Luke 18. Beginning with verse 28, Peter said, We have left all and followed you. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. You see, when we forsake all, we'll never regret it. When we are held back by nothing, the Lord Jesus will give us everything. We can either have the Lord in his will, or like in Peter's case, we can have a fish. One more story. There's a couple of guys whose names we probably won't recognize. Their names John Leonard Dober and David Nishman. John was a simple potter and David a carpenter. 
ordinary occupations, but extraordinary men. They left their jobs and families in 1732 to become the first Moravian missionaries. These two men actually sold themselves into slavery in order to reach a group of slaves on an island in the West Indies. Their life's purpose was to follow Jesus, who had given his life for them and for all the world. As their ship unfurled its sail and began pulling away from the dock, separating these two young men from their weeping families who would never see them again, they leaned over the rail and they shouted across the, wa across the water, May the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. This heartfelt statement became the cry that sparked one of the greatest missionary movements of modern time, known as the Moravian Revival. The author says, I personally have been so touched by their willingness to give up everything to reach an island of slaves who would otherwise never hear the gospel. He says that he has painted in eight-inch letters their statement on the wall of the dining room of his house. May the Lord receive the reward of his suffering. He says, this is my daily reminder to forsake all and follow Christ. You see, I believe the Lord led us this Sunday, you guys, to this teaching because we as Christians in this country, we struggle with being the very picture of the rich young ruler. That is our struggle. Nominal Christianity described as having a desire to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't interfere with my rights, my relationships, my possessions or my identity is a very real threat. Not only in this country, but it's a very real threat in this church. And fervent, vital prayer is necessary that we could ask the Lord Jesus by his spirit to enable us to yield to his work in our lives. To strengthen us and give us courage to let go of this life that we've been um, blessed with, I guess, if you want to call blessed. We need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, worship team, if you want to kind of come on up, I'll get ready to close here. Um, one thing I'm continually haunted about, continually haunted with, is a verse by John in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 15, 16, and 17. Because if we have the definition as to what Jesus calls being his disciple, those who can and those who cannot. Listen to this, these verses. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you guys realize who is called in Scripture in the New Testament the love of the Father? That's Jesus. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Jesus Christ lives in me. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 says, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That haunts me. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. 
So what's an easy way to make that relatable to us who sit here in this church this morning who desire with everything we've got to want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Here's the three things. And I have to remember it a simple way, so maybe this, this will help all of us. The lust of the flesh are passions. The lust of the eyes are possessions. The pride of life are positions. And then it says, and the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. I want each of us to ask ourselves, what's hindering my walking every day in the power of God as a true disciple of Jesus Christ? What is it that's hindering me? Let's pray that the Lord Jesus Christ will give us the strength to let go because he's broken the, the, the chains that bond, the chains that bind. Is it my passions? Is it my spouse, my kids, my family time, my workouts, my sports, hunting, fishing, hiking, my work, my business? Is it my passions that hinder me? Is it my possessions? Is it my house, my car, my truck, my motorcycle, my boat, my yard, my vacations, my keeping up with the Joneses, my trying to afford these things? Is that what's what's hindering me from following Jesus Christ in truth? Is it my positions? Is it my work responsibilities? Is it my identity in the community? Is it my responsibilities in the home? I pray, Lord, free us from anything that hinders our yieldness to you. Free us from anything that hinders our following you, your word, your will, your way. Lord, I pray. Lord, free us from the enemy's desire that we would love the world and enable us by your great grace to be fully and unconditionally surrendered to your calling upon us. Lord, we desire truly to be your disciples no matter what the cost is. Do a work, Lord. Do a work amongst your servants in this church that you may use your disciples here as you have been doing with your disciples in East Africa. May the gospel of the kingdom be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations that the end would come. And you, Jesus, may you return in all of your glory to reign and to rule forever. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. As we close in these songs, you guys, I don't want anybody to leave this room without searching their heart as to what it is that still has a stranglehold on our following of Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth. Pray with somebody. Look up your leaders, look up your core group leaders, grab a hold of somebody. Let's pray that the Lord would equip us to let go. In Jesus' name, amen.